Amen. This one? Okay, good. Let's do it again. <laughs> Holy Spirit, take more of me and give me more of you. Can you pray it with me this morning? Holy Spirit, take more of me and give me more of you. Holy Spirit, take more of me and give me more of you. Holy Spirit, take more of my darkness, give me your light. Take more of my weakness, give me your strength. Take more of the quivering with nerves and give me the quivering with the spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. God loves repetition. He absolutely loves it. The Bible says that in heaven there's the lamb and around the throne are four creatures covered in eyes from head to foot. They've got six wings and under their wings are eyes. They're all eyes and they're encircled flying around the throne and they're seeing the lamb of God from different places, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as they fly around, they see him from a different angle, and they say he's a savior. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as they come from this side, they see him. He's a teacher. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're covered with eyes. They see him from every angle. They're spinning round and round the throne. Hallelujah. And I'm going to bring a different angle of Jesus this morning. I love Jesus. (laughs) You know, he saved me when I was 19. I'm 55 now. And I tell you, he's done me an awful lot of good through those years. He loves me, and he loves you with an everlasting love. This is the Sermon on the Mount. I love the Sermon on the Mount. I just can't get enough of it. I read it again and again and again and again. God loves repetition. He absolutely loves it. Here we go, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. 
because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For I tell you, (laughs) I tell you something. (laughs) For I tell you, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, persecuted for righteousness. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, is this still there? Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you certainly will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. There's two things, two things in the Bible, two things in the Bible which are associated with greatness. The first one, Chris mentioned maybe six months ago when he was preaching, a servant heart. God loves a servant heart. The other one is this, the practice and the teaching of the commands of God. Amen. Oh, I feel like I'm preaching. (laughs) I'll get my notes. (laughs) Hallelujah. The title of my talk this morning, if I can work this thing. Which way do I point it, Alex? Here we go, loving God. Fantastic. I thought this morning I changed this side. Loving God and gaining knowledge in Him in the twos. Loving God and gaining knowledge of Him in the twos. God has two great loves. He has two great books and two great schools. Firstly, two great loves. God loves people unconditionally, and he wants us to love people in the same way. Listen to his words from the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Even tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Even pagans do that. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know what happens when we obey this command? Wow, it's painful sometimes, isn't it? Really painful. But when we obey it, it brings the kingdom of God on earth. Hallelujah. Unconditional love. 
When you look through the Bible, from beginning to the end, you see this principle, this great love, this unconditional love. Here's these uh, city in the plains, Sodom and Gomorrah in the plains. And it's so interesting. These men and women were sinning greatly against the Lord, the Bible tells us. And just see what God did. It's amazing. Here's Abraham. And there's some friction between him and Lot. And they decide best to split. And here's a man of God. Abraham says, you take the choice. You take the choice. And he looked and he saw down by Sodom and Gomorrah. This place was like the garden of the Lord. It was absolutely beautiful. And he said, I choose that. (laughs) And he went down there, Sodom and Gomorrah. God loved those people in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he placed them in the nicest, the most pleasant and beautiful part of the land. God is a God who loves people unconditionally. And you know what happened through time? The Sodom Sodom and Gomorrah, these five kings came, the Bible said, and they attacked those cities and they carried off the women and the children, and they left the men. (laughs) And then God instructed his servant Abraham to raise an army, and he rescued the women, and he rescued those people, children, and he gave them back to the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. God loves people, even the most wicked people. He loves them. I know he loves them. (laughs) And he loves me. I know he loves me. And this is what it's all about. God is looking for an echo in the human heart. God is looking for people who say, wow, look how good he is to me. Look at the land he's put me in. Wow, look at how he's rescued me. And the echo in the heart. And see God how he really is. The Bible says that he is loving and kind to everything that he's made. Animals, children, people. He's loving and kind to everything that he's made. He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and in mercy. Unconditional love leads us into a better type of love. There's unconditional love, but there's a better one. It's called conditional love. Listen, unconditional love is like an elastic band. It stretches and stretches and stretches and stretches. He puts up with us, he puts up with us, puts up with us the whole of our life. And then it comes to an end and bang, unconditional love comes to an end. That's it, over and done with. But conditional love is something very different. Listen to David in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my strength, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You'll not fear the terror of night 
nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You'll only observe. (laughs) You'll only see with your eyes and observe the punishment of the wicked, if conditionally. You make him your dwelling. (laughs) Then no harm will befall you. Different type of love. No harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you. To guard you in all your ways. Hallelujah. You tread on the lion and the cobra. You trample the great lion and the serpent. Listen to this. Because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and honor him with long life. I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. Hallelujah. Unconditional love is a wonderful type of love. Better than unconditional. And unconditional is good. Hallelujah. There's two great books. There's this book here. The Bible. (laughs) God's book. And there's nature and creation. And they're two great books that all point to God. There's two great schools. There's the school of the spirit. And I just remember somebody saying this. It touched my spirit. Listen. In the school of the spirit, there is no double promotion. You will sit every test. In the school of the spirit, there is no double promotion. You will sit every test. That means you can't buy your way to the top. No. He's looking for character. He's looking for heart. He's looking for change in ourselves. And there's the school of life. Hallelujah. I want to say to somebody here, maybe you're going through a test at the moment. I heard this in the spirit this morning. Let me tell you that when you're going in a, through a test, it's difficult to hear God. And I'll tell you why. He's not speaking. He's not speaking. Just like when you get in a test in a schoolroom with a teacher, exactly the same. The, the teacher's silent. If God is not speaking to you, this probably means you're going to be, or you are in a test. If you're in a test here this morning, do the right thing. <laughs> do it God's way. Don't do it the devil's way. Stay it through, even though it costs you. Start to love God unconditionally. You know, when he does some bad things in your life. You know that Job, that testimony he had? This man, what a man of God. The stuff that he went through. But listen to his heart. He would rather curse the day of his birth than ever charge God with wrongdoing. This is somebody who can love God back and love him conditionally and unconditionally. Amen. This is school of the spirit and the school of life. Amen. How am I doing for time? My God, where's he gone? <laughs> Hallelujah. There's a school of the spirit and there's the school of life. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, 
God kind of enrolls you, enrolls you in the school of the Spirit, but He definitely enrolls you in the, in the school of life. And if you won't teach lessons, if you won't be taught lessons quickly from here, God is very clever. He can teach you lessons about life out there. Is that right? He can. Oh, there are two wells. Listen to this. The woman at the well. I read this one day. I thought, man, it's not the woman at the one well. It's the woman at the two wells. Here's one well, physical well, full of physical, lovely, fresh water. And here she comes. Here she comes out to get some water in the middle of the day. Very unusual. People used to go in the evening. This tells me she's outcast. She's an outcast from her society. Not only that, she's an outcast from Jewish society. The Samaritans were very strange people. They went away from God. They should have been worshipping him, the Bible says, in Jerusalem, and worshipping the living God. Instead, they made an idol in the form of a calf. They made, him, they made, their, they made their own God. This is idolatry. You know, making God in your image. What you think God is, not what he really is. That's idolatry. And so this woman was an idolater, you know. But amongst the idolaters, she wasn't even accepted there. She is outcast of the outcast. And she turns up at this well. And standing beside this well, or sitting beside this well, is another well. Hallelujah. A well of the spirit of life. And he's standing there. This wonderful life-giving spirit. And she comes along and she says, uh, oh, oh, he says to her, will you give me a drink? And she says, um, she came up for some stuff. You know, we shouldn't be associating with each other. Those kind of things. And then he says, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Living water, a life-giving spirit. This is a spiritual well that we all drink of, Jesus. And here's this woman. He, he, it's in this conversation with her, and eventually she says this. She says, give me some of that water. Give me some of that water. And he gives her five words of that water. Go and call your husband. Five words of living water. And she straight away says, I haven't got a husband. Now, if she was in Gateway, we'd be all looking at Jesus and saying, he got that wrong. <laughs> he, this prophet with supernatural information said, go and call your husband. And she hasn't got one. And we'd have got upset with him and run off. He's not a prophet, okay? No, but stay with it. Five words of living. Go and call your husband. She says, I haven't got a husband. And then he pours out, I don't know, 30 or 40 words of living water. And he says this, you are right when you say you, have had, you haven't got a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man that you are now living with is not your husband. What you have said is completely correct. Wow. Living water. 
supernatural information. He didn't know her. <laughs> supernatural from the Spirit of God. It changed that woman's life. Oh, and she went back to the Samaritans and she said, Come and see the man who told me everything and yet he loves me, he loves me. Come and see the man who told me everything and yet he loves me. Jesus loves me. <laughs> Amen. And it touched, it just won the whole village. And here's the amazing thing. Listen, if we don't learn from the school of the Spirit, then we can live, learn from the school of life. What was it that attracted Jesus to this woman? What was it? Why did he go well out of the way? I think I know the answer. I think I know the answer. This is the answer. I'm sure it's the answer. She had one husband, ended in divorce. She said, mm, he wasn't a very nice man. She married another. Got divorced. Mm. This man also, what bad luck. I've had two really bad husbands. I'll marry another. She married another. What is it about me? I seem to attract all the bad ones. <laughs> Three. Four. Spirit starts working on her. Mm. Maybe there's something wrong with you. What's the common denominator in your five failed marriages? That was it. It's not there anymore. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Despite the sin and everything, it was that attitude of heart, that attitude of spirit that attracted Jesus to her. These are unusual cases. Don't God doesn't normally do this. But he's, he has mercy on who he chooses to have mercy. He's merciful and kind God. Loving God. In the way of righteousness, there is life. These two verses are taken from the two wisest people who have ever walked the face of the earth. This means stand up and listen. In the way of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality. Uh, this is the path the disciples walked in. Hmm? You know those disciples? Hunger after God. You know, hunger and thirsting after righteousness, these people. And they see a new prophet out in the desert. They're straight there. John the Baptist preaching in the desert. And they say, oh, amazing. And then John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. See, it wasn't that Jesus just turned up on the beach and said, Come here. No, this is a long process. They were disciples of John long before they were disciples and called by Jesus. This is the way of righteousness. In the way of righteousness, there is life. 
Along that path is immortality. This is King Solomon. The second one is King Jesus. The first one is Old Testament. The, new, the second one is New Testament. If conditional, anyone loves me. This is the way of righteousness. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him. And we will come to him. And make a home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. We need to continually ask ourselves, do I actually love him? I know he loves you. You know, he does. He loves everybody. But here's the rub. Do you actually love him? Because loving him back is immortality. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to show you um, this. My training and profession is a scientist. So I like looking at the book of life here, and I like looking at the book of life out there, creation. And here's some really interesting facts. That curve on the left, you see that? This is the reduction in mortality from 1900 to 1996 in America due to infectious diseases, meaning people are living longer and longer and longer <laughs> because of some fantastic discoveries. Now, see that peak in, that, in, the, in this green, green graph here. See this peak here, 1918. Bang, the mortality went, rate went up like anything. In that time, 1918, between 50 and 100 million people were killed by the Spanish flu. And to put it in context, about 15 to 19 million people were killed in the First World War. More were killed by infectious diseases. Now, you can see this slope. And the question is, why are people living longer? Why is there no, not so much infectious disease? And the reason is this. Mostly sanitation, proper disposal of human sewage and clean drinking water. This is the main reason, above all others. Uh, the black line here is where antibiotics were introduced. You see, it's not really changed it at all. Where antibiotics have made an incredible difference is here. Sexually transmitted disease. Look at syphilis. Bang. Good night. <laughs> and here's the rub. This is the point I'm trying to make. Both sanitation and infection control they come out of the book of life. These are commands to Moses. Prophet Moses, 1600 BC. The first one is about the proper disposal of sewage. It's called sanitation. It was actually discovered by a guy from Bristol called William Budd. And just up the road in Cowbridge here. And then it spread throughout the world, blessing everybody throughout the world. The next one is infection control. That's also in the Bible. Isn't it shocking? The Jews kicked on. You know, the Jews discovered this quickly. That's why they're healthier than anybody else. <laughs> That's why they're hated. Why are they so blessed, those Jews? These people. He loves them more. It's a fact he loves them more. The Jews have a higher IQ than anybody else. It's a fact. They win more noble... They win more Nobel Prizes than anywhere else. It's not them. It's the God 
whose children they are. Hallelujah. How am I doing for time yet? Five minutes. <laughs> but two of everything. Let me just say this, two of everything. This is a great study, you know. I could be here for hours. Two loves. We've talked about it. It's two hearts. You have a, either have a hard heart towards God or you have a soft one. And the great thing is, is if you have a hard one, you can swap it for a soft one. Amen. There's two fears. There's good fear and bad fear. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Listen to Mary when she was so excited because she met John the Baptist even though he was in the womb. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on. <laughs> from now on. I can't remember the next line. <laughs> All people will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Listen to this. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Um, my brother, I'm not sure he was here preaching a couple of weeks ago on, on the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Who were those people that were there that day? The Bible says they were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. His mercy extends to those who fear him. If you don't fear him, learn to fear him. And the best way to learn is read his laws. They're like a diagnostic test that detects whether you've got sin in your life. Terminal, fatal disease. Read them and reread them and say, how do I measure up to these commands? Hallelujah. Um, let's jump on. I just want to, to, to show this. Paradox. Paradox. This, I'm talking about two truths here. Paradox is a place where two opposite and contradictory truths are both true at the same time. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but it is true. Now, this means you can be right and wrong at the same time. <laughs> right and wrong at the same time, can't you? You can be right in your wrongness and you can be wrong in your rightness. Stuart, could you just come up here? You're the closest one. <laughs> now, just say this man here is right in his wrongness. Okay, he can see one truth but not the other. And I'm here and I am, he's right in his wrongness, I'm wrong in my rightness. You know what's going to happen here, don't you? <laughs> Oh, we're going to start talking. You know, we're going to... There's going to be a bit of friction, isn't it? <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> and that's what's going on in the church. It causes splits everywhere. One person sees one truth, and somebody else sees the opposite truth. The fact is, both are true. And here, let me just, uh, let me just finish with this. The parable of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> it's not Jesus who said that, by the way. 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, and a Levite did the same. And then a Samaritan came, and the Bible says he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Listen, those priests and Levites, they were like me. They were wrong in their rightness. They worshipped the right God, but the outworking of that was not right. The Samaritan, he's the opposite. What is he? He's right in his wrongness. He's worshipping some silly, stupid idol on some mountain where he shouldn't be worshipped. Yet, he had mercy on the man. Meaning the outworking of it. And here's the rub. You know, the religious people, (laughs) this parable kind of looks down on them, doesn't it? The ones who were right, they're wrong in their rightness. But you know this fella. He's right in his wrongness. And the Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We know by the fact that Jesus told this parable that he came to the attention of God. Amen. How am I doing? I've got a couple more minutes, I think. (laughs) So let, let me show you this. This is really interesting. I was meditating for months, years on different twos. God, what are you doing here? I don't understand it, you know. Lord, I don't understand it. What are you trying to say? Why do you say in this place, do not judge? And then Paul says over there, do judge. Contradiction. Mm, How do I work it out? Here's how you work it out. Always go to Jesus first. He deals in big truth. Always. Honor the words of Jesus above any other words in this book. You know, some of the words in this book are the devils. You shouldn't honor those, should you? And some of them are people who don't like God, aren't they? You know, Job's counselors. You don't want to take your Bible, you know, points from them, do you? No. Okay, so the same. I love the red letter Bibles. I know, man, Jesus' words. Don't let any of them fall to the ground. Pick them up quick. Run with them. And here's the very interesting thing. The very interesting thing is when people come to him and they say, what must I do to get eternal life? He directs them straight to God's commands. He doesn't say, well, I know where I'm going. I'm going to suffer and die on the cross. He points them to the commands of God. Why does he do that? Because he wants those people to develop poverty of spirit, to recognize that they are sinners. He didn't come for anybody else, only sinners. He said, the righteous, I'm not so interested in. Paradox. 
Here's a modern-day example of paradox. I was meditating on these twos. I walked out of my house one morning. I heard God so clearly, loud as loud can be. Paradox. A small truth sitting on a large truth running in the opposite direction. I ran in. The house wrote it down. I didn't need to write it down. It was so fixed in my spirit. A small truth. About three days later, he showed me this. The lottery. The lottery is a place where two opposite contradictory truths are both true at the same time. Here's the little truth. The lottery makes people rich. Why do people do the lottery? Because it makes people rich. But listen, although it is true, very small truth. Scientists like to use statistics. If you apply statistics to this, it says you're never going to win it in the whole of your lifetime, so don't bother. Okay? Big truth. This is what Jesus deals with. The lottery makes people poorer. The contradictions are there deliberately by God. For you to go to him and say, what is it, Lord? Why is this contradiction in the Bible when it's the, Lord, when it's the word of God? Why is it he says that and he says that and this guy preaches this and that guy preaches that? <laughs> the lottery makes people poorer. Maybe, maybe I'll leave it there. <laughs> There's so much more to say, but... So much more. The Sermon on the Mount. There's two covenants. The first and the second. The first covenant, at the heart of it, is God's laws. Ah, Look at this. I'll finish with this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I'm amazed these days. People seem to run miles away from God's law. I love it. I absolutely love it. I can't get enough of it. And this is what I fight. You come to Jesus, he sends you to the law. You go to the law, you think, my God, I'm back to Jesus. Jesus sends you back there. Again and again and again and again and again and again, right through your lives. Why? Because you're receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. Salvation of the spirit is instant. But salvation of the soul is a lifetime business. Praise God. Brilliant. Right through. One theme. Choose God. Choose God. Beautifully put. God's love is unconditional. But if I want to start enjoying the next level, if I'm willing to give all of myself to Him, if I'm willing to follow His principles, I'll enjoy a different level of blessing in my life. Sometimes we miss that. We stay at the basics. 
little goodness of God here, little goodness of God there. But my brothers and my sisters, there's a level that we can operate in. We've been living this for many years, many, many years. It involved faith, which was not easy. If I could trust him for different things, he was willing to demonstrate supernatural power. If I was willing to let go of certain things, some other areas would unlock. And that's the paradox of the kingdom. And perhaps today the Lord's pushing us to that next season, that next level. Lord, I want to see more of your power. I want to see more of your goodness. I want to see more of all that I've been hearing about this morning. And he says, my, my son, my daughter, choose more of me. I spoke about a godly lifestyle a little few weeks back when I spoke on the glory of God. I think that confirmed that. Build the altar again. Build the altar afresh. And it's amazing. The more we give of ourselves to God, the more of heaven I inherit in my life. Let's arise this morning. Hallelujah.